One, one option you used to be able to get in a pickup was dual fuel tanks. Remember dual fuel tanks? And we thought that was space-aged technology. When we, uh, you know, you could drive down the road and say, you know, right now I'm burning fuel out of one tank, but if I push this button, bam! Now I'm now burning fuel from a different tank. That was big time back in the day. Well, how many of you had dual fuel tanks? Anybody ever have dual fuel tanks? When you had dual fuel tanks, did you ever intentionally fill one of those tanks up with something other than what that pickup or Suburban was meant to run on? Did you ever put kerosene in the other tank just to see if it would run on that? Or did you ever think it you know, had been a good pickup, it deserved a treat? Did you ever put chocolate syrup in the other tank just like because it had been a good boy and you just really thought it'd be? No, you would never do that. It would be ridiculous to, to try and make your engine run on something other than what it was designed to run on. Well, in a weird and an extremely loosely metaphorical way, you and I as Christians are like vehicles with dual tanks. We were created, we were manufactured with only one tank. That tank was called the flesh. It was the only source we had, whatever we wanted. And we could hone our flesh and shape our flesh to want different things maybe, but it's all we had. Whatever we wanted is what we did. But if you've placed your faith in what Jesus did for you at the cross, God gave you a new tank. It's labeled spirit. And he doesn't just give you a new tank. If we take Paul at his word and what he's taught us in the book of Romans, God took your old tank and sort of ripped it out and buried it. The old me died with Christ, Paul said. So God buried your old fuel tank and he remade you, a new creation to run on the pure, undiluted Holy Spirit. When we run our lives on that pure fuel of the Holy Spirit, we get great mileage and we always head in the right direction. It's like super premium unleaded with GPS technology built right in to the fuel. Now, that doesn't mean we don't have any problems because the rest of our vehicle is still breaking down. The rest of us has not been restored. Our bodies still get flat tires, rusty, breakdowns. And we have one more very big problem. Well, also there's millions of other drivers on the road still driving with the only their old tank of the flesh. They cause us problems. But we have one very other, one, one other very big problem. And that's this, because when we were a new model, we only had one tank, that tank called the flesh. It's very easy for us to believe, to convince ourselves we still need that old fuel. It's easy for us to believe 
that we still need to run. I run best, or life would be better, or it would be a treat, or it would be more fun, or I'd get what I want. If I go to the junkyard and dig up that old tank and start siphoning fuel out of that old tank labeled the flesh, I'd be faster. I'd have racing stripes. Somehow life would be better. Maybe that's not the right metaphor. Maybe, maybe what we try to do is pour flesh into our spirit tank, into a tank meant to hold the spirit. I don't know. But I think you get the idea. The point is this. As Christians, we have the opportunity to run our lives, to have our lives run on the pure, undiluted power of the Holy Spirit of God. And we tend to try to burn the flesh. Running on the flesh always causes us engine problems, check engine lights, car wrecks, and all sorts of other stuff we'd really rather avoid. That's what Paul wants to talk to us about. Living life by the flesh versus living life by the Spirit. It is one of the most misunderstood concepts in all of Scripture. Let's read Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 5. This is a New American Standard version on the screen. For those who are according to the flesh, or who live life according to the flesh, they set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who are according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the Spirit is life and peace. Because the mindset on the flesh is hostile toward God. For it does not subject itself to the law, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. However, you are not in the flesh. You're in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, and He does, is the understanding there, But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. There's our passage. We start in Romans 8, 5, where it is imperative. It's extremely important that we understand what Paul is and then is not saying by this verse. If we don't understand verse 5 correctly, we cannot understand the rest of the passage. And it's my opinion that the bulk of Christianity misunderstands this concept. The bulk of conservative evangelical Christianity misunderstands this concept. The rest of the passage is an an explanation, really, of this verse. So we're going to spend most of our time this morning in this one verse. If we get this one right, the rest of it kind of falls into place. Here's, Here's what Paul says. For those, this is a different translation now, the New English translation, to give you a little flavor of the same idea. For those who live according to the flesh 
have their outlook shaped by, their mind set on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit have their outlook shaped by the things of the Spirit. First, I did this a couple of weeks ago. If you have your own Bible, and I hope you, you do and you have one and read it, if your Bible doesn't say flesh right there, if it says something like sin nature, I would invite you to cross that out and write the word flesh above it. Because the word is just sarka, flesh. And that will leads to the, the bad understanding of this passage, I think, that I want to help us avoid. If your Bible says carnal or carnally there, that's fine. Just understand the word carnal means fleshly, living by the flesh. And so until we understand what fleshly means, we're open to misunderstanding this. Here's our problem. There's always been a pull toward understanding what Paul means, something like this. It's tempting to think that Paul is saying, those who live according to the flesh, meaning those who live uh, very immoral lives have their minds set on very immoral things. But those who live according to the Spirit, those who live mainly moral lives keep their, their minds set on very moral things. The reason, uh, so at first reading, it's like Paul is contrasting two different kinds of people, mostly bad people, with mostly good people. The mostly bad people have their minds set on mostly bad things. The mostly good people keep their minds set on mostly good things. The reason it's always been, uh, there's always been this pull to understand this this way is because in Christianity there has always, and I mean always clear back to when Paul was, was very first ministering for Christianity. There's always been a pull to believe that the Christian life the spiritual life is all about finding a balance between legalism and license. There's always been this pull. This is still taught today, and it breaks my heart. I ripped off this graphic that you see on the screen. Um, not the circle with the line through it. I added that because this is going to be rejected. It needs to be. But there's always been, this is still taught, I took this right off of someone's lesson online. And you see what it says? It says, legalism is a bad thing. It's an extreme over here. Makes someone slave to all the rules. On the other side, license over here. That's a bad thing. And the Christian life, real Christian liberty, is finding that sweet spot in the middle where there's real freedom. No, no, no. No, we have to define these terms to know what we're talking about. Legalism is the idea that I can be more in God's eyes based on my behavior, based on my morality, based on my religious observance, based on something that I do. God will, if I just get better, God will like me more. God will be more likely to accept me. That's legalism. License, on the other hand, is, is the, that's a false idea. L licentiousness 
is, or, or antinomianism is the false idea that because of grace, sin no longer matters. Like God doesn't care about sin anymore. So I can sin by the hair of my sinny sin sin and God just doesn't care, right? All bets are off and do whatever I want. And the real Christian life is nobody wants to be a complete prude and a legalist. But certainly, you know, we can't just go crazy and do all these immoral things. So, so surely the, the Christian life is all about finding which rules we have to keep, which ones we don't. Finding that sweet spot, and that's freedom in Christ. That's the Christian life. That's when I'm spiritual. Does that sound familiar or feel familiar? Because I think by and large, that's, that's what Christianity tends to do sort of naturally. Here's what we do. This can be maybe in a country, maybe in a region, and maybe in a local church, but a culture. Here's what we do. Because we think naturally, that's what the Christian life is. Here's what we do. Uh, the, the influencers, the people in power in a, in a church, in a town, in a state, in a country, whatever it is, we, we come up with a list of the big ones. We come up with some sort of accepted list of the things that must be eradicated from Christians' lives or else they're fleshly. This might be a written down list in the history of the Berean fundamental churches. Like we had a written list and it was things you would think, you know, it's the don't drink, no alcohol, no tobacco, no dancing, no movies, no games with like cards or dice. Because see, anybody who did those things, fleshly, carnal. And so necessarily, if I can avoid doing those things or avoid letting people know that I do those things, I'm spiritual. That's not Christianity. That's not being spiritual. It's not the Christian life. It's got to be rejected and rejected soundly. And if that idea of Christianity gets plugged into, especially the epistles of Paul, that's what we come up with. Those who live according to the flesh, they're the ones that do all this stuff that's on our list. And so if we don't do those things that are on that list, we are, look how spiritual I am. I don't do those things, at least in a way where anybody else can see me. Now, that is not what Paul is saying. In fact, it's not even close to what Paul is saying. And when we think that's what Paul is saying, we're going to miss the Christian life and freedom. So what's he saying? To figure out what Paul is saying, who is the person who lives according to the flesh? Who is the person who lives according to the Spirit? 
I think the most helpful thing we can do to figure that out is look at one other place in the very first book Paul ever wrote where he just writes down, here's what someone looks like who lives according to the flesh. Here's what someone looks like if they live according to the Spirit. Wouldn't that be helpful if Paul just gave us a list of what spiritual looks like and what fleshly looks like? Well, he did. It's in the book of Galatians. So if you have your own Bible, you can turn to the book of Galatians. It's on the screen also. But here Paul lays it out. Starting in Galatians 5.19, Galatians 5.19, this is the, the New English translation, on, I think, on the screen. Paul says, now, the works of the flesh are obvious. You want to know if somebody, if you are living in the flesh, you want to know if somebody's living in the flesh, here's what life looks like. Sexual immorality, impurity, depravity, idolatry, sorcery, hostilities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish rivalries, dissensions, factions, envying, murder, drunkenness, carousing, and similar things. This is where Paul writes in in Greek, yada, 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 etc. Do we have a complete list? No. Paul says there's other stuff, but stuff like this. But the fruit of the Spirit Here's what someone's life looks like if they live by the Spirit. And I want you to notice this is one fruit. Up here, these are multiple works. These things can come and go and show up one at a time. But if I am submitted to the Holy Spirit of God, if I'm a spiritual person, my life will be characterized in general this way. I will be a person of love. I'll be filled with joy. I'll be a man or a woman of peace. I'll be patient I'll be kind. I'll be filled with goodness, which is going above and beyond the law. Better than what's required. Faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. All of those things will characterize my life. That's what a spiritual person looks like. Against such things, there is no law. Now, in this passage... You see what Paul does there? Here's what it looks like when someone lives according to the flesh. Here's what it looks like when somebody lives according to the Spirit. In that list of the works of the flesh, are there some obvious uh, immoral sins that make it on any church's list of things that must be rooted out or else we're going to call them licentious? Absolutely. Here they are. Sexual immorality, impurity, depravity, idolatry, sorcery, skip down here, murder, drunkenness, carousing around and just living wild, right? That is the licentious. We even call those things, you ever heard these called the fleshly sins or the fleshly lusts? Man, do I hate it when we say that. You know why? Because we're leaving out half the list. This is most of our list. Now, the lists are different in different churches, in different areas, but those things are on the lists. The list of what are the things somebody better eradicate, not participate in, or we're going to shun them somehow. We're going to keep them away. They cannot they're, because they're fleshly. That's the stuff. However, I find it very interesting that when Paul is ready to describe what a spiritual person looks like, he doesn't just say, don't do, you know, don't, don't do the sex, drugs, and rock and roll ones. 
and you're obviously spiritual. He doesn't say that. In fact, Paul's list of fleshly sins, the works of the flesh, what a life looks like if I'm driven and controlled by my flesh, is filled with other stuff that's not on any church's list of things that have to be eradicated or we're going to call you fleshly. Check these things out. Hostilities. That's just when people get angry, right? Strife. You know what strife is? It's just when two people are kind of fighting. Jealousy. You know what that is. Outbursts of anger. Selfish rivalries. So I have uh, my hostility and jealousy and strife turns into a rivalry where I get a dissension, uh, dissension start, factions build, where I get teams of people who are against those teams of people or against that person. That stuff never winds up getting someone labeled fleshly. You know why? Because the legalist will be characterized by those things I just described. You want to see hostility, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish rivalry, dissensions and factions build up in a church? Go to a legalistic church and have someone start preaching justification by grace alone. And you'll see anger and factions, selfish rivalries. That's not the only time, though. The legalist is the fightinest, angriest, most hostile folks there. And when justification by grace starts getting taught, they get nervous because what separates them from other people, from those people, begins to be threatened. Because positional justification says we're all tied in the righteousness column. We bear the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And the legalist must hang to, no, we don't. I am more. Better. I'm not like them. I don't do the big ones. But it's, isn't it interesting? There's, Paul doesn't, Paul does not uh, divide these into big ones and small ones. Hostility and outbursts of anger and jealousy is just as much a fleshly sin as sexual immorality. It's never the way we would write these. And the legalist will never be, the legalist can be characterized by a lack of these sins. We can. The legalist who thinks I can be more in God's eyes will never be characterized by the fruit of the Spirit. Paul will tell us in a minute, it's not possible for them to be. Here's why these things, legalism and license, both have to be rejected because they are both my flesh. 
They're both flesh. This one's easy to see. Sometimes flesh is just, if we follow along with Paul and listen to the way he's described the flesh in the book of Romans, the flesh is just that tank I was born with where I want to do what I want to do. And some people's flesh push them toward things on everyone's list. Some people's flesh leads them to want to do sex, drugs, and rock and roll and all these terrible sins that, that everyone knows we shouldn't do. And, and newsflash, that's bad. But my flesh can just as much push me toward wanting to be better, wanting to be more. Not wanting to party more and feel better in this very instant from using sinful means, but just wanting to use the good things God has given to make me more. That can be moral obedience. And that's why we have to compare moral obedience and stratas and grade these things and leave out half this list because I want to be more. My flesh can make me want to, be, want to have more financially, success-wise. Um, it can make me want to accomplish more. Things that aren't necessarily sinful, but here's the test. When we're honest with ourselves, and when our flesh gets its way, what we actually live for. And we all have the tendency to go to that junkyard, dig up that old tank, and suck fuel for our lives out of it, right? We'd better, try, we'd better figure out, when my flesh is fueling me, what am I living for? How do I want to be more? Because when those things are threatened, when I am living for more, more money, more popularity, more uh, control, more power, more whatever, more recognition, whatever it is, when I'm living for those things and those things are threatened somehow, guess what kind of response I will respond with? I would call it a fleshly response. We will respond with hostility, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish rivalry, dissensions, factions, envying. And if we want to use Jesus' definition from the Sermon on the Mount, you can throw murder in there also. We will want to destroy the person who threatens me getting my more. This is why it's just... It's just so important to understand the spiritual life cannot be obtained by quitting some sins on a list that I have, these sins that I really hate and I find disgusting. It does not make me spiritual. It just doesn't. Living by the Spirit is not me wanting to do whatever I want to do in my life and just trying really hard to be good. And when I'm pulling that off, you can't tell me I'm doing anything wrong. Voila, I'm spiritual. But is your life yielded to the Holy Spirit? When it is, even when the things you love in life are threatened, you will still respond with love and joy and peace, patience, Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That is the response of someone living in the Spirit. See, living by, living by the Spirit's not do whatever I want. That's flesh, by the way. And just try to be good. 
It's a whole different tank. That's why we can't say we're somewhere on this spectrum trying to find the sweet spot. Which rules do I have to obey? Which rules can I kind of let go? It's a completely different spectrum. It's, it's fueling my life from a completely different tank. It's not the same game. It's not the same ballpark. It's not even the same sport. So, having said all of that, if we go back into the test text and plug that understanding of what it means to live life by the Spirit and live life by the flesh in, we're ready to understand some stuff. Those who live their lives just according to their own desires have their outlook shaped by their own desires. Now that makes sense. By living life, I want to do what I want to do. And yes, again, that might be immoral things. It might be just material gain, business success, overreading, addiction of any kind, all kinds of stuff. On the other hand, those who live according to this Holy Spirit of God have their outlook shaped by the things of the Spirit. What are the things of the Spirit? If living life by my flesh is living my life by what I want, living life by the Spirit is living life by what He wants. And who does the Holy Spirit want to make a big deal of on this earth? I'll give you a hint. It ain't you. And it ain't me. He always wants to see God glorified by drawing unbelievers toward the person of Jesus Christ and shaping believers into the likeness of Jesus Christ. Will part of that be the conviction of sin? Absolutely. Absolutely. But it's so much more than that. Walking by the Spirit, again, is not doing whatever I want to fulfill my goals and trying to be good. It is, Lord, what is your goal for my family, for my marriage, for my job, for my career, for my spare time? The Christian life glorifies Christ. Now, we can't glorify Christ in sin. We just can't. So he'll grow us that way. But uh, Thomas Schreiner, this is my favorite uh, commentary on the book of Romans. At this section, he said this, there will be new obedience in the life of a Christian. There will be. But this new obedience, he says, is rooted in the transforming work of the Spirit. Thus, it is not a burden imposed from without, This new obedience is a delight embraced from within. It's not, I have got to keep the list so I can be on the team of the good guys. All right, well, we've made it through one verse and we're about out of time. So we better keep rolling. But the rest of this falls into place if we understand verse five. In verse 6, Paul gives us a quick contrast. 
Like the way, the outlook of life uh, for someone living in the flesh versus the outlook of life by someone lived in the spirit. He says it this way, the outlook of the flesh is death. The outlook of the spirit is life and peace. The result of me living a life by the flesh is always death. When I live just looking out for whatever I want all the time, the, out, the outcome is always going to be death. It always is. In the Bible, remind me, uh, death is not the annihilation of one thing. Death is the separation of two things. So when I live based on just me getting what I want, Paul says there's going to be separation in my life that shouldn't be there. Um, we use the somebody whose uh, flesh pushes them toward the sex, drugs, and rock and roll sort of sins. They will find other people that participate in those same sorts of sins and they build a little community around that kind of sin that is separate from the rest of the community. That is death. Those of us who don't or no longer indulge or never were really tempted or had the opportunity to indulge in those sorts of things. When we live our life by the flesh, we will stay separate from them and talk about how bad they are for doing it and feel really smug and self-righteous because we don't do those things. And there's separation there that is death. There may be when I live for my life in my marriage and what I want, there will be separation between me and Rachel that shouldn't be there, that's death, seeping in where there should be life. Because the outlook of the Spirit is life, which is the union and the fellowship of two things. Eternal life, I'll be with Christ forever and ever. Life and peace is fellowship and unity. And when, you know, when there are in a church, in a marriage, on a team, in a whatever, when there is strife and jealousy and factions and dissension, you know what the problem is? There's a bunch of people or some person or individuals living for what they want. Paul's not saying that a a person who lives by the flesh can never do anything good. That's not true. He's also saying that someone who lives life by the Spirit will never do anything bad. Also not true. It's just a different outlook on life. Fueled from a different source. Understanding this concept really changes our understanding of verses 7 and 8. Where Paul says, because the outlook of the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to the law. It's not able to submit to the law. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. That is so important to understand in light of what we now know the flesh is. See, if the flesh is just, if I do those sins, I'm fleshly. If I avoid those sins, I'm spiritual. That's one thing. But as soon as the flesh means, and it does, just living life for whatever I want to do and try to be good and avoid those sins. It's not that. When I'm living life for whatever I want to do, I'm in the flesh. And Paul just said, you can't please God. Nor can I. How so? Why is that true? Because 
The flesh will always be about me. The flesh serves me. It's my flesh. The flesh works to glorify me, make much of me, make me comfortable, make me more. And God wants God recognized as more. And those two things are in opposition to one another. The outlook of the flesh is hostile to God. You ever hear an argument like this? How can you believe there's this God up there that always wants everybody to praise and worship him all the time? How prideful and arrogant. Oh, man. Right? Well, first of all, a person believing that, saying that, they actually want to be in that place. They want, I want to think about me all the time, not God. Here's why God wants me, Matt Maxwell, to praise and honor and glorify him. It's not because the God of the universe needs anything from Matt Maxwell. He does not need me for one millisecond. He wants me to make much of him because he knows it's best for me. It's not best for him. It's best for me. When I live life in my flesh, I'm trying to make much of me, and I am opposed to the goal of making much of God. That's the difference. I find this fascinating. Paul says someone stuck in the flesh cannot submit to the law of God and cannot do the law of God. Now, wait a minute, Pastor Matt. You just said if there's somebody, the legalist who's stuck obeying all the rules, they can't please God, they can't do the law. They're the ones not doing all those things. What do you mean they can't do the law? Glad you asked. You asked great questions. Someone asked Jesus one time to summarize the law. Remember that? What's the greatest, you know, what's this law thing all about? And you remember what Jesus said? He said, don't get drunk, don't sleep around, don't be an idiot, and you're fine with me. Is that what Jesus, and then you're doing the law. Is that what he said? No. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength and love your neighbor as yourself. That's the whole law. When I am stuck in my flesh living life for me, I cannot do that. I can't. I'm unable. I won't. I don't want to because life will be about me. And just because I'm obeying a certain list of sins that other people find disgusting does not mean I am fulfilling that. That takes a life submitted to the Holy Spirit of God. That takes someone who is not who's saying, God, what do you want done with your money, with this job you gave, with this family of yours that you gave to me, with this church? What do you want with your church, with your money, with your time? That's the spiritual person. Verse 9, so important but I got to go quickly through it. You, however, you are not in the flesh. If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you, and anyone who doesn't have the Spirit doesn't have Christ. You know that every person who believes in Jesus Christ gets indwelt with the Holy Spirit. And if you've not been indwelt with the Holy Spirit, um, you're not a Christian. There's, there's, great, there's great news. And first, 
How does someone get the Holy Spirit? One, in one word, how does someone get the Holy Spirit from God? Belief. Faith. So how crazy is it to think, right, we get the Spirit, we enter the spiritual life by faith, but we live a spiritual life by obeying all the rules. It's ridiculous. This thing is faith from beginning to end. I just have to believe what he wants is better. I have to believe that. And here's the good news this verse gives. You are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. You know what that means, O Christian? You have everything you need to live a life in the spirit. If you have the Holy Spirit living within you, you can be spiritual because the spirit's there. You just have to let him call the shots. You have to live life for him. And finally, Paul ends by saying this, but if or since Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is your life because of righteousness. Moreover, if the spirit of the one who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, the one who raised Christ from the dead will also make your mortal bodies alive through his spirit who lives in you. Paul says, man, I love this. These two verses should be their own sermon. You got time? Just kidding. Uh, If Christ is in you and he is, bad news, your body is still dead because of sin. Your pickup still ain't doing great and it's going to get worse before it gets better. There's still consequences to sin even though Christ is in you. But the spirit is where your real life is because you bear the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And here's where our real life is. Verse 11. The one who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. He's going to raise you from the dead. Your mortal body is going to be resurrected to live forever and ever and ever. We have eternity in our hearts. We carry around with us this understanding this life is short and eternity is long. So we live toward that eternity where our real life is. We don't live for all this kindling and worm food that we can collect around us that is going to burn and decay the moment we leave this place. We don't live thinking I can compare favorably to other people and using uh, these categories that 10,000 millennia from now won't have mattered for 10,000 millennia. Think of all the ways we separate our people from those people, me from them, us from them. Right? We do it, on, we do it in we do it on athletic ability and dedication to our sports. We do it on uh, which sins they do versus which sins they don't. We do it financially. We do it in all these 10,000 millennia from now. Those will not have mattered at all for 10,000 millennia. And you want to know the dirty little secret? They don't matter now. They don't. It doesn't matter how many people believe a lie. 
that don't make it true. I've gone way over. We got to get out of here. So we'll just end this way. Um, actually, let's just pray. Bow with me and pray. Father God, there's a bunch of people seated and one standing who tend to dig up that old fuel tank of the flesh and buy the lie that my lie, what I really need is found in that tank. I need to be more. I need to be better. I need to have more fun. I need to have more excitement. I need more success. And because of that, there are people I need to run over. I need to crush. I need to have rivalries with. There are, there are those I need to uh, shun and separate myself from. There's stuff I need to do that's not necessarily sinful, though it's not really what you would want. God, that's us. But there are a bunch of people seated in one standing who want to be spiritual. Who want to be led by the Holy Spirit of God. Who want you to call the shots and us to live for you. To us make a big deal of Jesus Christ. That thy will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Walk with us, lead us. While you love us, we love you, Lord Jesus. Help us drink deeply from that tank you have given us, labeled spirit. We pray all that in Jesus' name. Amen.